Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Philippians. That We do get to re- uh, review some of the themes tonight. Uh, would your Holy Spirit just speak? Uh, speak to me. Speak to each one here. Uh, help us listen uh, to what you have for us tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are finishing up the book of Philippians. And I always feel a sense of accomplishment when I finish something. Like when I finish a book or uh, maybe finish like a, a TV show or, or a series or like, a, you know, like the Lord of the Rings movies. Once you've kind of made it through, I feel a sense of accomplishment. Now maybe when you read a good book, you kind of get done, you get to the end, and you, you think to yourself, what did I just read? Like, I, I don't really remember much of the book. I, or, you know, if someone asks you a month later, oh, I saw you reading that book, what was it about? You're like, well, I can tell you like one or two things. Well, the same thing can happen in a sermon series. We're at the last sermon in the series, and maybe you're thinking, what was this series about? I remember it was about Discipleship 101 because that's currently on the screen. Uh, but what were some of the themes and things that we learned and talked about? So today we're going to go back through the book of Philippians. We're going to look at some of the, kind of the scripture highlights in the passage. We don't have enough time to focus on every verse and kind of redo the whole series, but we're going to get an overview of some of the, the big themes and in fact, I think in, in the closing of Philippians in chapter 4, verses 10 through 23, that you just heard Diana read, I think when, we've, when we look at those verses, they, they do sort of serve as a, a summary or like a, a kind of a mountain peak of the book, a conclusion that kind of helps wrap it up. And so we're going to look at both the ending and an overview of the themes. And I want to really start with two themes that are combined together of suffering and servanthood. Because I believe both of these are part of what it means to be a, a disciple. A discipler is a, a follower of Jesus, is a learner, is someone who tries to learn the teachings of Jesus and put his practice into, uh, into our own lives. And so that's what it means to be a disciple. So let's look at these First two. We are suffering servants. And this is verses 11 through 13 that I'm focusing on. Now, do you remember how the Apostle Paul, so he wrote this letter. Do you remember how he opens the book, the very first verse? Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So already that's a, a big point from the beginning. Paul Paul is a servant, but he's actually a suffering servant. Maybe that reminds you of Isaiah 53. Well, Paul is a suffering servant. He is in chains. He is under house arrest. He is waiting in Rome. This is 2,000 years ago, but he is waiting in Rome under house arrest. He may face freedom. He may face execution. So it's a stressful time for him. And it says that he's in chains on multiple occasions in the book. And this theme of suffering and and servanthood, it continues to run through the scriptures in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And then in chapter 2, verse 17, 
We see this, Paul says, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Paul's life is being poured out on their behalf, on the service of the gospel. He is serving Christ. And this extends not just to Paul, but there's two other people that that Paul talks about. He talks about Timothy and this guy named Epaphroditus. They're both uh, servants of Christ. Timothy is a young pastor and Paul calls him a servant with Paul in the gospel. And Epaphroditus is someone who traveled from ancient Philippi, so ancient Greece, all the way to Rome, about 700-mile trip. And perhaps in doing so, along the way, he got sick. And it says that he, he was sick and he almost died in his service to Paul. So now Christianity sounds great, doesn't it? <laughs> You're a servant. You put others first, you serve others' needs, you serve Christ's needs, you serve Christ once, and you suffer. Well, you would think that Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul would just run away, right? That they would just be done with the faith, but they're not. In fact, in our verse today, in 11 through 13, I want to read this. Second half of verse 11. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances, so whatever the suffering, whether I'm in jail or whether I'm not, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. This reminds me of the song that we just sang, Blessed Be His Name in the good times, in the good seasons, but also in the bad seasons and the hard seasons, in the rejoicing and in the suffering. And why can Paul be content? Why can he bless God's name? Well, it's because he has been given strength by God. He's been given power. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, maybe some of you have seen this verse, like uh, inscribed on a boxer's boxing shorts, or uh, you've seen it in like a, a nice poster, a motivational poster, and you're like, ah, oh, yes, I can win this race. I can do athletic feats because of God. Well, this is actually saying I can, I can endure in suffering because of Jesus. Jesus gives me the power, gives me the strength. This word for power, one commentator said, uh, it's the Greek word in dynamo, in dynamo. You know what dynamo sounds like? Dynamite. It's where our, our, our word for dynamite comes from. It's explosive. It's powerful. We have a God, <laughs> a God of dynamite, a God who can bring spiritual power into our lives to, to get us through whatever we're going through especially when we're servants of Christ, especially when we're following Jesus. The, the town I grew up in, Estes Park, at one point, I guess our sewage main like broke uh, in our yard or there was some sort of issue. And in order to fix it, they had to take dynamite explosives and put it along the line and cover it with tires. So there was like this I don't know, it seemed really tall when I was really, really little, but it was probably like a four-foot, three-foot-high pile of, of uh, tires like all along my yard. And my brother got to press the button to explode our yard. 
and nothing has grown there ever since. (laughs) It's powerful, right? It's explosive. We believe in a God of dynamite who can give us the power we need to persevere in the face of hardship, in the face of suffering as his servants. And I, I wish this was not my, my sermon illustration, but I want to talk about what happened in Texas. Because I don't, I don't think there's any more like, clear and present example of servants of Christ in the U.S. suffering for Christ. Suffering as they gathered to worship. They lost their lives. 26 people died because of their love for Jesus, because of going to church. I, I, I read, I think it was in the Washington Post, the story of one woman who, I guess she lived, Farida Brown, 73 years old. She was a member of this church for a decade. So a long time She was shot in her legs four times, and she was lying in the back of the sanctuary, and she held another woman's hand. And in this moment, as it was still happening, she said to the other woman that it would be over soon and that she was headed for heaven. Her thoughts weren't even on herself. Her thoughts were on comforting this other woman in the midst of her suffering. She was serving. Wow. That's an incredibly powerful example of the type of suffering service that Paul is talking about. We just read a verse that's pretty challenging for this. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It has been granted to Annabella to not only believe in Christ, but also to suffer for him. She died, 14 years old. It has been granted to Farida Brown to suffer, to not only believe, but to suffer for Christ Jesus. Somehow, in the midst of all of this pain, there is blessing. There is joy. Somehow, in the midst of this, this tragedy, we, we discover what it, what it means to truly be a, a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower. We hang a lovely symbol of torture <laughs> in the front of our sanctuary. And sometimes we wear it around our necks too as a, as a style piece. I like the picture on the slides of a man carrying the cross. Christ says to come and follow me. We will suffer. But I was so encouraged, so we had a little time of prayer on Wednesday evening for the church in Texas. I was so grateful that as we were praying, I heard prayers saying, Lord, help us to not be afraid. (laughs) Help us to not be fearful. Help us to be courageous if this sort of thing comes our way. Help us to just obey you and be faithful to you. That's what I want to see us praying. If the Lord wills it, are you willing to suffer for him? (laughs) If you're not, you're not a Christian. (laughs) If you're not willing to suffer for Jesus, you're not his follower. That's truly what it means to be a follower of Christ, being willing to suffer. 
The good news is, the gospel is that Christ Jesus doesn't abandon us in our suffering. He's right there, and he's with us, and he's walking. He's gone through it first. He carried the cross first. And then he comes back, and he walks through our suffering with it. And somehow, through this suffering, we come to know Christ more intimately and more powerfully. Philippians 3, 10 through 11, I want to know Christ. So how do we know him? Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and, some, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. It's through our death, it's through suffering that we become like Christ. The good news is that Christ rose from the grave, and if you know Christ, it's not just if you know about Christ, if you know Christ and Christ knows you, Yes, it might hurt. It might be painful. Suffering is never fun. But you will rise again. This means that for those of you that know Christ, one day you will get to have a conversation with these lips. It'll be perfect after the resurrection, your glorified lips. You will be able to have a conversation with the martyrs of Sutherland Springs, Texas, of that church. You will be able to talk to them. You will be able to hear their stories that they cannot tell right now of how Christ was faithful to the very end. I want to have those conversations. I want to hear those stories of Jesus' goodness. So how can we ever have enough courage to suffer? How can we ever have enough courage to, to serve those around us and love those around us when there are so many threats? Well, it's through prayer. We just talked about this last week. We are suffering servants who pray. Pray is talking to God. In our book, actually, it has quite a few themes about prayer. Paul, Paul bookends the book of Philippians in prayer. So a bookend, right, you have a shelf, and you put like, these things that hold the books upright on the right and the left. He bookends. He begins in prayer, and he ends in prayer. Or maybe if you're not into books, you're into sandwiches. Like, he... he, he the bread, right? He begins with bread, and he ends with bread. That's the book of Philippians, prayer. So we see this in verses 3 through 11. This is just a summary of 3 through 11. But Paul prays gratefully. He prays joyfully, confidently, and affectionately for love, discernment, purity, and fruit. He's praying for the church at Philippi these things. And then what does he do in chapter 4, our last chapter, verses 6 through 7? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in the good seasons and the bad seasons, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul emphasizes prayer, and he promises that if we pray, if we live a life of prayer, we will be guarded in these moments. <laughs> Paul knew what it was like to have guards. Like he was chained. I think the, the chain was about 18 inches. He was chained to a guard throughout his day. He was guarded. <laughs> Do you believe that through prayer, like the Spirit of God, His Holy Spirit, is <clears throat> less than 18 inches away from you? <laughs> That he's dwelling inside of you and guarding your heart? That he can get you through anything? I want to believe that with all of my mind and all of my heart. See, prayer, 
Prayer is asking for that strength of God. Prayer is putting out your hand and saying, God, please give me the dynamite. (laughs) I want the dynamite. I want your power. I need your power. And when we pray together as a church through corporate times of prayer, that's just handing the stick of dynamite around. Pass the dynamite. When we see others suffering or when we suffer ourselves, what do we do? We should pray. Pray that God would guard our hearts with peace, the peace that surpasses all comprehension, that God would guard other churches and other people's hearts. That's what we should be praying for First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs. I believe that God can grant them peace through our prayers. (laughs) They may be too weak to pray right now. They may be too broken and too sad to pray. And so it's our jobs to pray for them and to pray with them when they're able. I actually have an opportunity for you tonight uh, to spend a little time praying for Sutherland Springs. Uh, At the back left corner of the sanctuary, I've put a table and a card. We can write a note to Sutherland Springs, a note of encouragement. There's a couple sheets of paper, so there's plenty of room. And I've listed the names of those who died, and I've also put down a sheet that kind of is an article on the victims there. So if you want to look up maybe family members or friends, you can write a little note of encouragement to them. But as you do that, would you just say a little prayer for Sutherland Springs? Would you pray for them in this moment of suffering? And I really want to encourage you all to to take the time to do that tonight. Prioritize it. Sometime after you've gotten your cheese and your crackers, Come back in here and, and write a little note to them. Now, Paul doesn't pray once more in Philippians verses 14 through 19, what we're looking at right now. But I actually think he gives us an example of answered prayer. He talks about the money that he's been given. I'm sure at some point he was praying, God, would you supply my needs? <laughs> I'm under house arrest and I actually have to pay my own rent. Uh, would you come through for me? And he, and he does through the Philippian church. And then Paul prays this. So he prays this in the, in the first kind of layer of bread in the first bookend. He prays this. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So this is his initial prayer at the beginning of the book. And if we look at the end of the book, we actually see some similar, similar vocabulary. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. In other words, you're loving me. Thank you for loving me. Not that I seek the gift of what you've given, but I seek the fruit, the fruit that increases to your credit. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So at the beginning of the book of Philippians, Paul prays that the fruit of righteousness, in other words, that their whole life would be conformed to Jesus. He's saying, would this be the true of you? And then at the end of Philippians, he seems to be saying, well, I can rejoice because I actually see how God is already answering my prayer. You have sent me money. like You've done that joyfully. God is changing your life so that you prioritize me. You prioritize the mission of Christ Jesus in your lives. God answers Paul's prayer and he answers our prayers. We are suffering servants. The question is, do we pray? One of our core values is prayer. (laughs) And one of the reasons we put that core value down was not really because we saw ourselves praying a lot. It wasn't like, oh man, we're really good at prayer, so we're going to make that one of our core values because we know we do it all the time. 
No, we put prayer down as one of our core values because we want to see it be one of our core values. We desire, there's a reason we pray in the service and that we have a prayer network and we gather for special times of prayer because we want to see prayer be a part of our DNA. In the book, Old Paths, New Power, John Dickerson asks a question about the American church. He says, why is the wealthiest church in world history declining in both size and cultural influence? Somewhere along the way, unintentionally and gradually, we moved our feet away from the desperate dependence on the resurrection of Christ, away from the Holy Spirit as our only source of power, away from desperate times of prayer. If we want to see this church grow, if we want to see this church sustained through times of plenty and times of want, we have to be servants who pray individually, corporately, in worship, all different ways. Disciples are suffering servants who pray. Let's keep going. Let's look at the next theme. We are suffering servants who pray and who live unified, humble, and joyful lives. So we've already looked at the bread, kind of the out, outline chapters of Philippians as he moves in or, inwards to like kind of the, the, I don't know, the spread, the lettuce. We get to some other themes, the themes of unity and humility and joy. See, Paul says in chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. To conduct yourself means to live as a citizen. In other words, we as Christians are called to live as citizens of God's country. We see this in Philippians 3.20 where he says, Our citizenship is in heaven. So as Christians, we're not first citizens of the U.S. We're citizens of the kingdom of God, of this heavenly kingdom, and it should change how we live. Because of our citizenship in heaven, we should live unified. The the early church, there was a situation between two women. We see in chapter 4 where Yodia and Syntyche, they were arguing with each other. They were upset at each other. Strife, disunity, and what does Paul say? Be unified, Philippians 1.27. Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. I love that we stood up here and we, we kind of linked arms, put our hands on each other's shoulders because there's a sense of unity through covenanting. There's a sense of unity through membership. That pure just coming to church when you feel like it doesn't get. There's a sense of accountability, of oneness through covenanting together. What's the other thing Paul says in the next section in Philippians 2, 1 through 11? He calls for humility. He says this, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves. Now, humility is not particularly a popular like, value in our culture, right? It's all about amplifying yourself. How many selfies can I get? How many followers can I have? I want to get my, my face out there. Paul says, no, humble yourself. Be like Christ Jesus. Have the same mindset of Christ. And he gives this beautiful hymn. Where he talks about how Christ, like, he's up here, right? Before he came to earth, he, he's, he's with God. He, he's sitting with God, he he's, has glory, has prestige, honor. And what does he do? He becomes a man. <laughs> he 
becomes like a dirty, smelly man who lived 2,000 years ago. And then he humbles himself even further and he dies a death on a cross. Paul says, have that mindset. Go low. Go lower. When you, when you want to be lifted up, go even lower. What's the final thing that Paul calls disciples to have? Joy. In Philippians 2, he says this. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Joy is a huge theme. Sometimes I struggle to have joy. And I know others of us probably struggle to have joy sometimes as well. But one of the marks of being a church is as we focus on Christ and God gives us peace, we cultivate heart attitudes of joy. We don't grumble and complain. Today we recited our membership covenant. I think we actually see unity and humility and joy reflected in our covenant. We talked about being unified in our membership covenant. We talked about forgiving and asking for forgiveness and receiving forgiveness in our covenant. To me, that's humility. We did this whole thing with joy. We were excited. We were happy to commit to each other. Part of what it means to be a servant of Christ is not just to suffer, but to be unified with others who sometimes go through suffering as well, to humble yourself and to count them as more important than yourself, and to actually go through life joyfully. Now let's look at the last few verses to see who it's all about. We've been talking about what it means to be a disciple, but let's focus on who we follow as a disciple. We are suffering servants who pray, who live unified, humble, and joyful lives, and who find our all in Christ Jesus. So this is like that center book. This is like the meat of the sandwich. (laughs) Or if you're a vegetarian, this is the the kind of gross veggie patty. (laughs) Christ Jesus is what Philippians is all about, is who Philippians is ultimately all about. In four short chapters, Paul uses the name for Jesus 22 times. He uses the name for Christ 37 times. He says, in Christ 10 times, and in the Lord nine times. He uses the word gospel nine times. Jesus is Paul's obsession, Paul is obsessed with Christ. He is obsessed with finding his identity, who he is in Christ. He is obsessed with following Christ through thick and thin. He is obsessed with knowing Christ. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. For me to live to live, for me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Paul is all about this man that from 
where we're standing in history lived 2,000 years ago. He, he was not very successful. He had 12 followers. One of them like, turned him over to die. He sometimes had as many as four or 5,000 followers, but at the end of his ministry, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. <laughs> he was not a, a social media success. He was not a success by our standards. But something about the person of Jesus and what he came to do changes all of that for Paul. <laughs> changes Paul's entire life. <laughs> See, because he, he met Christ. He met Christ on the road to Damascus. He came face to face with the one he was persecuting early in his life, the one that he was rejecting. And he met his Savior. He met someone who was willing to die for him, to go to the cross to pay the penalty for his sins. That's what Jesus did. If you, if you confess your sins and put your faith in Christ, Christ died for you. Now, Christ is a literal human being. And, and it's kind of hard to imagine here so many years later to think, someone died for me? But yeah, Jesus died for you if you know him so that you can experience eternal life so that he can take your, 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 your sin and he can bear that load and he can go to the grave with it and he can say goodbye to it. So all, all the ways that you have not met God's standards, all the ways you have disappointed yourself, Christ takes those away, and he pays for them. And then he rises again. Three days later, he rises from the grave and says, whoever puts their faith in me gets to rise from the grave one day too. But the best part is just knowing Christ, being with Christ, being found in Christ day by day, being changed by him. That means that if we're in Christ, no matter if we're in pain or in joy, we'll be okay. Maybe you're uh, new here tonight or you're not a Christian and you thought, I thought Christianity was about like saying a prayer <laughs> and kind of getting my ticket out of hell. Well, prayer is a part of being a disciple, a follower of Christ. But ultimately, Christianity is all about knowing Christ and being known by Christ and growing in relationship with him and, and learning that he is someone who you can trust your deepest, darkest secrets with. He'll forgive you, and he'll give you a brand new life. This is Jesus. This is who we follow. This is who we can lift up no matter what we're going through. We are suffering servants who pray, who live unified, humble, and joyful lives, and who find our all in Christ Jesus. Well, this is a pretty, this is a pretty big statement. Can we put it to the test? Can we say, is there someone... Is there someone who has suffered who we've seen this be true of? That they find they're all in Christ Jesus in the worst pain. Maybe some of you watched the news conference this week with Pastor Frank and his wife Sherry. They addressed the media, they addressed reporters, uh, and they had just lost their 14-year-old daughter, Annabella, to a sh the shooter. And after the mom read this statement, Pastor Frank said this. He said, lift this thing in Christ. Everything is in Christ. And a reporter said, well, what are you going to tell the families who are grieving? 
He said this. Well, I'm working on it. <laughs> Thank you. And then he, and he added this. He said, Christ is the one who is going to be lifted up. Christ is the one who is going to be lifted up. And we can exalt Christ, we can lift Christ up because 2,000 years ago, he was lifted up. He was lifted up for my sin. And if you know him for your sin, so that we can live sinless for all of eternity. Pastor Frank said this, he said, you lean into what you don't understand, you lean into the Lord, you lean into Christ. Whatever life brings to you, lean on the Lord rather than your own understanding. I don't understand, but I know that my God does. I bet Paul prayed that sitting in prison sometimes. I don't know why this is happening, but I know that my God does. We are suffering servants who pray, who live unified, humble, and joyful lives. But at the end of the day, it's all about finding our all in Christ Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for Christ. May I be found in him and may everyone here tonight be found in Christ. May this man who is also God who walked 2,000 years ago this earth, would he change everything about us? Would he help us be humble people, be joyful people, be unified people? Or will we be servants who are willing to suffer because we remember Christ suffered first? Father, as we remember everything your son has accomplished and done, would it draw our hearts to want to pray? to want to talk to you, to want to worship Christ, to want to talk to him. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.